Hello and welcome to Warsha Bursting Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand the key issues at the intersection of law and business. Today we'll take a look at the opportunities to uh, use tax-exempt bond programs to finance multifamily residential real estate developments. And we'll be speaking with Michael Zuckerman of Counsel at Warshaw Burstein, the New York law firm. Michael, thanks very much for joining us again. Good morning. Good morning to you. And before we start, let's make the point, as we usually do, in addition to being a lawyer and a business school professor, uh, you are also a developer yourself. Yes. So uh, today we're going to be talking about these uh, tax-exempt bond programs. Tell us, uh, what is the purpose of these programs? It's to provide a technique of financing for multifamily housing and senior housing when other forms of financing may not be available. Where can developers uh, find these programs? The programs are available so long as you meet these tests. To They can be done almost any place in the United States, and they have been done in any place in the United States. There are a half a dozen bond underwriters that specialize in underwriting these transactions. Uh, we have actually closed a couple of them, and we have worked on a couple more that didn't close. It's a very interesting financing because you can get pretty high leverage, maybe 80% of the project cost, and it's non-recourse financing. The most important tests are that the building is either under 144D, have an affordable component under the code, or that the owner uh, is, is a tax-exempt entity. Once you get into it, there are certain requirements of the code that you must comply with. For example, you can't spend more than a certain amount of money on issuance costs, and there are certain costs that are, do not qualify, certain working capital costs that do not qualify for the bonds. So you can't have too many of these costs, or the underwriter cannot completely finance the transaction. So you have to keep within certain guidelines, which is basically hard construction, construction interest, and preliminary reserves. So your task here as a developer is to find a municipal issuer that can uh, issue tax-exempt bonds for you. Is that correct? It's actually not. The developer really doesn't get into that. What happens is he goes to an underwriter, and the underwriter then says, okay, I, I'm interested in doing it because the numbers make sense. And then he will go out to some uh, conduit, it's called, which will issue the bonds. And the conduits... Or there are conduits that do it all over the country. So you can almost go to any place in the United States and you can get a conduit that will issue those bonds. You have to get the conduit entity to approve the bonds. So you have to go get approval from the conduit entity. And there are certain steps that you must follow. There are certain requirements in the Internal Revenue Code. One of them is that you have to go to the highest person who can execute on behalf of the bond, so that's frequently either the mayor of a city, the county executive, or actually the governor. It has to be the highest elected official in a particular transaction and has to execute on behalf of the conduit. And these conduits have to be in the physical location where the development is going to be? No, they do not. As I told you, there's, there's two conduits that do nationwide financing. Mm -hmm. Now, these are municipal bonds, but they're a unique kind of uh, municipal bond, aren't they? They are unrated bonds. Most bonds that are done, the, the greater preponderance of municipal bond financing in the business is done directly by cities, municipalities, uh, counties, 
various authorities, the Port Authority of New York, for example, and those bonds are rated because the credit of the issuer is rated. These are unrated bonds, and they're rated only, they're, they're unrated, so the value of the transaction is underwritten by the underwriters, who then look at it, and then they say that if you meet certain requirements, which is you go get a market study, and if the market study shows that you're going to have a certain amount of debt coverage, generally 1.4, then, then they can underwrite the bonds and sell the bonds. And so uh, you could have um, a bond uh, issued uh, by an entity across the country from where the development is. That's correct. There's an entity in Wisconsin that actually has been doing these in, in virtually every state in the United States. So after you found that entity to uh, issue the bonds, tell me about the category that the owning entity belongs to. What role does that play? Um, if you're going to do it as a 144D, the developer is actually the developer, and he is the one who's going to be the developer. He enters into the agreement with the underwriter, the bond underwriter. If you're going to do it as a tax-exempt transaction, the tax-exempt entity engages the developer who acts as a developer, gets paid a developer fee, and then it gets a portion of the return, but generally it's limited to something in the vicinity of 12 to 14 percent, and the rest of it goes to the, um, to, to the, to the tax-exempt entity. Let's uh, go through the uh, different kinds of uh, programs and the, and the different uh, kinds of developers. If we could start perhaps with the for-profit developers, what, what do those transactions look like? They're, they're pretty much both the same. Uh, the for-profit guys, the gross income is limited because 20% of the units have to be offered to people who are at 50% of the AMI. If you're doing senior housing, which is mostly what I've been experienced at, that's really not a problem because in the senior housing business, most of the people have very, very substantial assets and they live off their assets, even though they, don't, they may only have Social Security. When you're doing apartments, which is the biggest part of the business, those bonds are generally issued in two different types. One is what's called 4% um, tax credit bonds, and in those transactions, 100% of the tenants are no more than 60% of the average median income. So it's very similar to affordable housing in that regard, and these bonds are then issued in the affordable housing world. There are bonds that are issued, there's a program where you do 40% at 60% of the AMI, and 60% of them are at market rate. So the 144Ds have 20% at affordable, 40% at affordable, or 100% at affordable. If it's 20% affordable, 20% of them are at 50% of the AMI. When it's 40%, then 40% of the people are at 60% of the AMI. And, and, and then the 100% can be anything. And are there regulations as to uh, the uh, length of the investment, uh, the period involved? Generally, they want the 20% if you're going to do senior housing or the 40% if you're going to do affordable housing to be no less than 15 years. I understand that there are also uh, certain annual requirements uh, for developers. Yeah, like in the affordable housing business, Every year, the federal government requires that the management company submit a certificate of compliance that, in fact, it has met these various income tests. And you, you can only hire people that are experienced in this management world. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a, in a whole whale of problems. And in prior podcasts, uh, we've uh, spoken about other government programs, uh, new market tax credits, uh, 
historic tax credits. Do, do you ever use these other programs in conjunction with this kind of bond financing? Absolutely. We have done, one of my partners has done a historic tax credit deal that was a 144D, and we are working on an affordable housing deal that's going to be bond financed because it's going to have 100% of the project, that's 60% of the AMI. So it's going to have historics and it's going to have affordables on top of the bonds. And what's your role as the attorney? We have acted for developers in doing these transactions and we have done the management agreements, we have done the compliance requirements. And of course the loan documents are very different than a traditional first mortgage in a a traditional transaction. They're much more complicated. You have a trust agreement. On top of that, you have a loan agreement. And the books that are done for these transactions are, you know, a foot thick. We're speaking with Michael Zuckerman of the uh, New York law firm Warshaw Burstein about the opportunities to take advantage of tax-exempt bond programs to finance your multifamily residential real estate development Michael, tell us about uh, nonprofit organizations and how uh, they can take advantage of these programs. Frequently, the developers will set up not not for profits because they can't comply with the 144D requirements. Or you have more often there are very large not for profit companies all over the country that use these techniques to do the financings, and they're very very efficient executions. So. Uh, Michael, let's try to uh, wrap this up. Is this a program that developers, in your view, should be using? Yes, because it provides a very interesting tool for financing. Right now, it's very, very hard to get financing for. In the affordable housing business, it's really the only way to go. In the senior housing business, it's very difficult to get financing today, and this is the most efficient execution when it's properly used. All right. Thank you very much, Michael Zuckerman of Council at the New York law firm Warshaw Burstein. Uh, You've been listening to a discussion about the opportunities to take advantage of tax-exempt bond programs to finance multifamily residential real estate developments. Michael, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. If you want to contact Mike for more information on this or any other subject in his practice, go to WBNY.com, the website of Warshaw Burstein, or you can also uh, listen to any Warshaw Burstein Perspectives podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm John Metaxas.